perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. We took a look at our top 10 retailers, achieved on average 59% repeat business on an annual basis. And the average shopper rate was 4.4 purchases per year. So it's a pretty dramatic, I mean, we actually have, this isn't just a hypothesis, we have real data to back it up that we do help build brand loyalty and drive customers back to buy more. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Can you give us a bit of background? Who are you and what is FuturePay? Sure. My name is Tim Harris. Thanks, Jay. It's really a pleasure to join you on this podcast. We've had a really good experience working with Bold Commerce up until now and excited about what the future is going to bring in 2023 and beyond. FuturePay is a digital revolving credit platform partnering with Bold. I can explain a little bit about what that is if you'd like. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a new term. Like We hear the term buy now, pay later. We hear different things, but this is different. So definitely some background would be good. Sure. It's actually a term that was coined by one of the analysts. What it is, is a closed loop, cardless, revolving line of credit available at point of sale for e-commerce companies and their e-commerce merchants and their customers. So let me unpack that a little bit for you. It's closed loop, which means it operates outside of the credit card rails. So we do our own underwriting. We have a sponsor bank, originates the credit and so forth. So it's completely self-contained system that operates without the credit card networks, kind of like Amex and Discover Card are, although cardless. So we do not issue cards. We're purpose-built for e-commerce. It's integrated at the shopping cart in the bowl checkout, extending credit for e-commerce customers directly from the cart. So essentially, customers are getting credit instead of, it's not specifically for a product. It's a revolving credit. Correct. Uh, It's revolving. It's a line of credit between $1,000 and $5,000, depending on the credit profile of the applicant, which is once a customer applies for it in the cart, you know, we can accept instantly. And depending, as I said, on their credit, they would get this line of credit that can be used for the purchase that they're making that day from a participating future pay merchant and for an unlimited number of purchases in the future from any merchant in the future pay network. Gotcha. Okay, so it's not credit with that specific company. It's with any company that accepts future pay. Correct. It's a closed loop line of credit. I'll be happy to explain a little bit how we're different from credit cards. But the program is somewhat similar to credit cards in that it's a line of credit that's extended to consumers. The merchant gets paid right away. And then we arrange monthly payments with the consumer who pays us over time. Gotcha. That was one of the questions I had is to like the intricacies between buy now, pay later, credit cards, and we got this. But I want to hold that for a second because I want listeners to have a really clear picture in their mind of exactly how this works. So in a very practical way, what is the flow of this? Like a customer comes to a site, is it on the product page? Where do they see that it's an option? Do they apply after checkout their first order? Do they apply before the checkout? How long does it take? Just like the actual nitty gritty of if I'm buying a product right now, I've never used future pay before. What does that look like? Sure, Jay. That's easy to explain. A customer who comes to a participating future pay merchant website would see an explanation of what, by the way, the company name is future pay. 
And the product name is MyTab. So the consumer-facing product is MyTab. So they would see on the participating merchant's website an explanation of what MyTab does. We provide the merchant with marketing assets to help explain the benefits of MyTab and why they should consider it as a financing option. So we provide these marketing assets. Sometimes they develop their own on their own in form of banners on the homepage. Also, we provide sample landing pages, which explain what it is that MyTab does. We also provide product page, as to your point, product page, marketing assets for MyTab to be explained on the product page. And then we also have info buttons and so forth that we can explain or their text can be added on the checkout itself. So those are the principal mechanisms that we use for marketing on the merchant website. So the way it works is that a customer comes to the website, hopefully learns about MyTap if they aren't already aware or they aren't already a customer. And then when they check out, they select MyTap from the checkout as a financing option in addition to typically credit card options and possibly BMPL, we would be another option. And then the application process starts from there. As I mentioned, our own underwriting and we can do We ask for some very basic information from the consumer in addition to what we get from the shopping cart. We try and make it like old, as friction-free as possible. If they've already entered their email, their name, their address, everything, and now they're coming to the payment method and they choose this as an option, you can pull that information to speed up the... Exactly. And then date of birth and social, and they're off to the races. Assuming that everything clears the underwriting, so we have a sort of waterfall for underwriting, Assuming that everything clears the waterfall smoothly, then they're instantly approved. If there's something that doesn't match, then we may ask for supplemental information in some cases. Not often. It's an edge case, like you know, less than 10% of the time. They may have to send a copy of their driver's license or something like that to prove their identity. But in general, it's just uh, social and date of birth. Once they have that approval, they're approved between $1,000 and $5,000. Let's say they make a purchase for $500 and they have a line of credit of $1,000, then they have still remaining $500 in credit. The $500 purchase flows through the bank to us where we own that receivable, and then the customer pays us monthly after that, and the merchant gets paid within two business days. Oh, amazing. Now, a couple of questions on this. So as far as pricing then, I know with buy now, pay laters, they vary quite a bit, but some of them put all the burden on the merchant. They try to make it zero interest for customers. How does pricing work? So the pricing is, yeah, it's different from BMPL. There are a number of reasons why we're different from BMPL, which I could get into later. But from a pricing perspective, you're right. Traditionally, BMPL has had originally a zero interest pay in for model and the merchant bore all the responsibility for the financing cost. Now that's changed in BMPL because of rising interest rates. BMPL vendors are moving to longer term installment loans that have interest associated with them. But our model is kind of a split between the merchant and the customer. So the merchant pays a modest merchant discount rate or fee, which is much lower than BMPL typically and lower than credit cards as well. And then the customer pays a fixed finance charge for balances over $50 on a monthly basis. So whatever they carry forward. If they pay within the first month after they make a purchase, there isn't any interest or finance charge. They can flexibly, just like with a traditional credit card program, they can spread out their monthly payments 
over as long a horizon as they want, depending on their budget and economic situation. And what are we talking about like for interest rates? Does it vary depending on the person's credit? Is it fixed? So the credit limit varies based on the credit profile of the customer, as I mentioned, between a thousand and five thousand dollar line of credit. So that depends on the customer's credit situation. But the finance charges are fixed and it's a dollar twenty-five per fifty dollars of balance monthly finance charge for balances over $50. So under $50 is no finance charge. Okay. So it's interesting you say it that way versus 2.5%. The effective APR depends on where you are in the spectrum of the $50, but in general, it's $1.25 per 50. So for a $100 balance, it would be $2.50 of finance charge per month. Gotcha. Okay. So substantially less than a credit card. It's in line with credit cards. It's not substantially less, but I think the benefit of having a fixed finance charge, and there's a selfish reason for it, is it's very easy for us, since we are closed loop, to administer compared to a variable APR. The benefit to a customer is it's really about the most straightforward model I'm aware of to calculate finance charges. You owe $100, then you know, you're going to be paying $2.50 a month in finance charges. I don't know if you've ever looked closely at an APR statement on a credit card. It's very confusing. Yeah, it depends on when the purchase is made and how much. Yeah, there's a number of factors. What are they connected to? How's the customer paying? Is it connected to their bank? Can they attach a credit card to it or how does that work? Yeah, credit cards are about the only way they can pay us, but we can accept debit card. We can do an ACH transfer and we occasionally get checks very, very rarely, but not credit cards. And we can set up auto pay. Gotcha. So when they're completing that first purchase and they are approved and it says, good news, you've got a $5,000 MyTab account. Do I connect my bank at that point or complete the order? And is there a flow to set that up? Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, we try and align ourselves with Bold and make this process as seamless as possible. So we don't ask for bank account information at during the checkout process for the first order. We do that subsequently. So we send a welcome message to the customer that they've been approved and there isn't any slowdown of that initial purchase. And again, the merchant gets paid within two days. And then with this welcome message, we then ask the customer to contact us to set up their banking details, however they want to pay us on a monthly basis. And that's just the first time and then they're good to go from there. One of the questions I had was, you have credit cards, you have BNPL, and you have digital revolving credit. Brands listening to this right now, how should they think about those three? How are they different? What's the unique value each of them bring to shoppers and merchants? Sure. So what we are as a digital revolving credit provider, our MyTap platform provides what we see as the best of both worlds between BNPL and credit card programs. Here's how we're similar to BNPL. We're similar in that we do instant approval. We're purpose-built for e-commerce. It's very easy to use. You don't need to have a credit card, particularly for the younger audience for BNPL and for us, that's an advantage. And also in both the case of BNPL and MyTab, we own the customer information. So we have the ability to do marketing based on purchase history and types of products purchased and so forth. You might have seen from if you're an Affirm or a Klarna customer, they do quite a bit of that. So we have the ability to do that as well, which typically the credit card networks are not willing to provide any data whatsoever on customer behavior. So or to that type of marketing. So those are the things that make us similar in terms of ease of use and so forth. We're similar to credit cards in that we're 
revolving. So the customer applies one time and then can use this line of credit over a lifetime, which is very convenient for customers. For BMPL, it's an installment loan that once the payments are made, that BMPL only finances a single transaction. So credit cards and BITAB both are revolving solutions that are good for a lifetime. And also like credit cards, we have a flexible payment. And unlike BMPL, we have flexible payments. So as long as a customer is making a minimum payment, which can be as low as $20 minimum monthly payment, they can stretch out their payment horizon over a fairly long period. Certainly not pay in four or pay in 12. It could be longer than a year if they need to, depending on their situation. The other thing that makes it similar to credit cards and different from BMPL is that because we are revolving credit, we basically have to abide by very similar regulations to the card companies. We report to the credit agencies. So because we do that, the two benefits of that are for people that are at the lower end of our credit box, we can help them to build their credit since we're reporting their good payment history. The second benefit is that we are much more scrupulous about who we accept. So we are less likely to accept customers who are going to get themselves into financial difficulty by carrying a balance with us. We're much more conservative than BNPL. Typically, vendors are in terms of who we underwrite as a customer. Do BNPLs typically do an actual credit check or is it more, are they leveraging like network databases of like their own info on a customer or do they use the same credit check that you do? With the traditional BNPL model, they were just doing a soft credit pull and using alternative credit data. But if you follow the news, I think that particularly given where the economy is, that's fraught with danger. (laughs) That's not working so well from them, from what I can see. But I'm not an expert in their financial situation, but you can imagine that that might not be such a good idea. But anyway, that's traditionally, if you're looking to get paid back in six weeks, you can take a different level of credit risk than we can. We're in this for the long haul. We have customers that have been on the FuturePay platform for eight years. But BMPL vendors now are moving to these longer term installment loans. And in that case, they do hard credit pulls. And so for those longer term loans, they are getting a little more discerning about who they sign up and they have, they've got different regulations that they're facing for the longer term installment loans. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess buy now, pay later. I actually don't use them a ton specifically, but the danger is you can connect a credit card to some of them. So you're essentially doing buy now, pay later but then putting it on a credit card, which then you're carrying that balance and then paying that later. And it's like, you're just kind of moving the debt down the line where this is, as you said, it's credit card is the one thing you don't connect it to, correct? Yeah. So we're typically, for customers that have credit cards, we're typically a supplemental line of credit to the family credit card for discretionary purchases. So people that want to smooth out their purchases or the cost of their purchases that are kind of lumpy. So if you think of high-end cosmetics and golf equipment, for example, they're sort of spiky. A customer may purchase $500 every three months of cosmetics and want to spread that out. And they do that on a regular basis. I think highlights one of the main differences of the use cases for BMPL and digital revolving credit like MyTap. BMPL is installment credit. So it finances a single purchase, which is ideal for purchases of things that you purchase infrequently, like mattresses or Peloton bicycles or cars. Easy to sort out. You have one mattress and you pay it off and then you don't buy another one for five years. Not so great for recurring purchases. So for the merchant audience, 
really what we're geared to is helping merchants to finance recurring purchases or customers making recurring purchases. You can imagine the vertical markets that are appealing for this type of financing are, as I mentioned, cosmetics or pet supplies or sporting goods or eyewear. With BMPL, every purchase is a separate installment loan. So you could end up with 20 or 30 separate installment loans with potentially even different terms and with different end dates. And if you miss an end date, you're in trouble because then you get whacked with huge extra fees. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you find this is more effective for brands with higher ticket items? Or do you see it across the board? Or what does that look like? So our sweet spot of our average order value is in the three to $500 range. But for merchants that sell products that are bought on a recurring basis. So that's one set of customers that we have are ones that want to we can even with Bold, we're working on financing subscriptions, which is ideal for revolving credit, right? It makes a lot more sense than revolving credit for subscriptions. But so that's one set of customers is three to $500 with orders placed three or four times a year. That's really ideal for us. There's a line of credit up to $5,000. So there's another set of customers who, for example, they're buying an e-bike. That's $4,000 and four equal installments doesn't really help them that much. And they want to spread that out over a longer horizon. We do have those types of merchants and customers as well. So in the higher ticket range, the advantage of digital revolving credit, it's more flexible than a fixed number of installment loan payments where you can stretch that out for a longer time horizon. So we do have some merchants and customers that are interested in that. But primarily, it's recurring purchases, products, and merchants who have also concern about acquisition costs and rely on getting high lifetime value and getting repeat customers. What's the stat on, and I always forget the different generations here, there's Gen Z, Gen X, Millennial, like the people in their 20s right now, what is that, Gen Y? There's a stat that like over, it's like 60 plus percent of them don't have a credit card. This must play into that. Like, is that a target demographic for this? Definitely. If they hit the minimum credit criteria that we have, I would say that BMPL in general historically, particularly during the pandemic and when interest rates were low, really focused on that market and signed up younger people with less rigorous credit checking than we need to do. We, for example, have to abide by the CARD Act for evolving credit. So that's an important market for us, but that it has to be young people with reasonably good credit. We're not offering MyTab to, at the moment anyway, subprime credit customers. So Some of the younger people may not have sufficient credit history to be on our platform, but it is an important one, probably less important than it is to the BMPL vendors. For sure. Well, and maybe a bit of a way to build some credit if they qualify for even a smaller amount. Okay, so back to the question around the effects that this has for brands. What are you seeing? Like I imagine once someone has a MyTab account, do you have data points on increased conversion? Does it increase the average checkout size, customer lifetime value, any kind of positive stories around that? Sure. I mean, what's driving it, the reason why merchants typically sign up with us is that customer acquisition costs have been rising precipitously. There's one study in Business Wire where brands on average lose $29 for each new customer that they add, which is up from $9 loss in 2013. And acquisition costs or customer acquisition costs are up 60% in the last five years. So this is a major driver for us. Basically, in order to improve customer lifetime value, there are two dials that can be turned. One is improving conversion and 
that's one that's near and dear, Jay, I know, to Bolt's heart. <laughs> Increasing conversion is one way to uh, improve customer lifetime value, getting more people through the funnel. And I can explain a little bit about how we can help with that as well, working with Bolt. The second one is increasing repeat business, which is really the main way that we help. I mentioned that we own all the data and the customers. So we have all of our customers opt in by default to receive marketing messages from us when we have our regular bi-monthly communication with them. So we have the ability to encourage them to make additional draws on their line of credit with the merchant from whom they made their original purchase, as well as we have the ability to do cross-merchant marketing. So if you can imagine a scenario where someone has bought socks from Merchant A that we can recommend that they buy shoes from Merchant B or vice versa. With the buy now, pay later, that's a huge part of their value prop is if I have a Klarna account or a firm or whichever it is, I can now see in the Klarna app every store that accepts Klarna as buy now, pay later. So if I'm choosing to buy a $300 winter jacket, that might sway my decision a little bit. So if I have a future pay account and I can see that while this store accepts future pay or my tab, then maybe I'll buy it there. Helping give exposure to brands that accept it, I think is a huge value to merchants. We're talking about customer acquisition costs. So anything that we can do to drive new business to merchants without associated marketing expenses is huge. So I would say two other follow-up things on that. One is being relatively new. We don't yet have a volume of merchants where that's extremely compelling at the moment, but the near future, it will be as we add more merchants to the network. I want to be completely transparent about that. That's going to take us a little bit of time to build. In the short term, what we call in-merchant marketing or the driving people back to the original merchant, something that is very appealing to merchants because it's a revolving line. So unlike BMPL, if they go back to the original merchant, they have to apply for credit again. Well, maybe not. They may have open credit, but it's a separate installment loan every time. With us, it's the same line. So psychologically, there's a real benefit to have if someone has $1,000 of available credit, there's a psychological benefit of them going back to the same merchant using that line to purchase more. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit here if brands market this the right way. Like this goes back to that data point that on average brands lose $29 or $28 acquiring a customer. And that's actually quite normal. And a lot of brands know that like if they acquire a customer through Instagram and it costs them $72 on average per conversion and they're selling products for $49, they need to upsell, cross-sell or get that customer to repeat purchase or sign up. And not everyone wants to commit. So like we're also big in the subscription space and subscription conversion is quite low. If you have no relationship with a brand before, you just clicked on an Instagram ad and now this brand is asking you to sign up for a $69 a month, whatever it is, subscription. You know, we often tell brands like consider giving really heavy discounts on the first month. You might even do first month free. If you know the lifetime value of your customers, just think of that as customer acquisition cost. And so what MyTab does is it kind of allows them to encourage those customers to become repeat customers because now they have this tab with the merchant without having to actually make the commitment. Like they don't have to say, I subscribe for a year plan. It's a soft commitment. And then brands can ease them in with follow-up marketing. I guess I assume that merchants would know a customer who made a purchase with my tab, like I would run marketing campaigns against this. If I have a couple thousand customers that have a my tab account, 
I would be segmenting them and sending emails specifically saying like, put it on your tab this Christmas or something like that. That's exactly what we, starting with the in-merchant marketing and driving them back to buy more things from the original merchant and the short term, doing the cross-merchant marketing, drive them to other merchants. It's more complicated than it sounds, but we have the ability to achieve that, which is be unique to us. So we are building that infrastructure for the cross-merchant marketing right now. It requires a lot of analytics, as you can imagine. We have to know what product codes and so forth match up. And anyway, that's more detail than you probably wanted to know. But yeah, I think that's really the secret sauce for us. Fundamentally, what we have, I believe, for the right type of merchants that really care about lowering their customer acquisition costs and increasing their repeat business is we have real goal alignment with them. Because we are in the business of revolving credit platform. So we make money when customers continue to draw on their line of credit, which by definition means we have to help the merchants to and help the customers and guide the customers back to purchase more from their existing line of credit. That's very different from BMPL, where they're just constantly trying to acquire new customers to sell individual installment loans to finance a single purchase. I think we have the ability to engender a lot of brand loyalty, not quite as much perhaps as a store card, but a lot of brand loyalty with the merchant over a lifetime with the customer. Your goals are aligned with the brand. Like you're incentivized for customers to return and buy more. It's exactly aligned with what a brand wants to do, which makes sense. I guess you could say credit card companies are incentivized for the same thing too, but there's nothing they do to encourage repeat purchases or anything like that? Not really. No, they don't really work with maybe with the really large, really large merchants they might, United Airlines or something, but not for the mid to low end of the high end of the market, they don't. But you had asked a question about actual stats and our top retailers, we took a look at our top 10 retailers achieved on average 59% repeat business on annual basis. And the average shopper rate was 4.4 purchases per year. We have statistics on what they were before MyTab. So it's a pretty dramatic... I mean, we actually have... This isn't just a hypothesis. We have real data to back it up that we do help build brand loyalty and drive customers back to buy more. Yeah, that's amazing. I liked this quote you had in an article I read earlier. Rather than buy now, pay later, this method could be more aptly described as buy often, pay flexibly. You're encouraging customers to buy more and pay on their own terms, which I think is fantastic. The pay on your own terms is important as well. I mentioned, you know, the two ways to increase customer lifetime value being improving conversion and increasing repeat business. But in terms of improving conversion, it's just makes intuitive sense that the more flexibility there is on the payment horizon, particularly for bigger ticket purchases, the higher the conversion. So someone who used that e-bike example abandons a shopping cart because they the pay, in the worst case, would be NPL, a pay in four. I mean, I know that it's possible to get longer term interest accounts, but pay in four, it's like, well, I can't afford $1,200 a month or $1,000 a month. So with us, it's a longer payment horizon and much more flexible. So we believe we can help with that as well, in addition to the increasing repeat business. Without making a cheesy pun here, what's in store for the future of future pay. So we want to work with Bold on the subscription offering because that also for us is something that we feel is really important for us and a differentiator for us with BMPL. 
just like for the merchants, it's all about customer acquisition. For us, it's about merchant acquisition. So we can build out the network effect, particularly of the cross-merchant marketing. So we are putting a lot of effort into merchant acquisition. Even without the network effect, like I see a ton of value from merchant here. I've got merchants in my head I'm thinking of right now that could benefit from this just because they sell higher ticket items and they do have the e-bike scenario. I bought an e-bike and bought the e-bike and then I went back and I bought a whole bunch of add-ons for it. I bought this kind of like thing that went on the back that I could hook on a case to. I bought a light for the front. I bought this portable tire pump. So if I would have used my tab to buy the e-bike, all those additional purchases going on, I for sure would have put them on. Without any network effect, I still think there's value day one for this. I believe so. We can always improve. So another area would be geographic expansion. So the next market for us after we're continuing our efforts in the US will be Canada and expanding beyond. Right now, the customer needs to be a US resident. The merchant can be anywhere. Well, not anywhere, but in certain countries outside of the US. We're US focused at the moment in terms of our customer base, and we want to be able to expand that initially with Canada, which I know since you're based in Canada, that would be of interest to you and beyond from there. Before we end here, I'll touch on really quick because you mentioned it already in the show, but you are a partner with Bold. FuturePay is integrated with Bold Checkout. So anyone using Bold Checkout who wants to enable this, the integration is live. I guess you just need to have a FuturePay account as a merchant. And then do you know how that works or how they enable that? The merchants go through an application process for us, which just like with the customers is fairly automated. And then once approved, we provide a lot of materials for doing the integration. It's very straightforward. It takes minutes to, to do the integration, assuming that there's not some super custom thing going on that we're not aware of. But normally a pull checkout integration takes minutes. I would say what needs a little more planning is the placement of them and the customization of the marketing assets on the site that we talked about earlier requires some thought and effort. Well, that's like anything. There's tools that can help customers sell more, but now it's up to the merchants to kind of convey that message, build it into their email marketing, build it into their advertising, put it on their homepage. Like we now have my tab, like it's a great tool, but it's only as good as the customers know about it. And you've got a promotion going on right now. Can you give us the details of that? That's correct. But wait, there's more. Our <laughs> normal merchant fee is 3%. But from now until June, we're offering merchants who are listening to this podcast a 1.5% merchant discount rate, which is way lower than anyone else in the industry. So that would be an incentive for merchants to give us a try and help us to show how we can increase their repeat business and customer lifetime value working together. That's amazing. I think it's definitely worth trying. I think the worst thing a brand could do is try it and they don't see results. There isn't a cost to implement it. It's just a transactional, like it's only if customers use it, then they pay, correct? If I want to use FuturePay right now, I sign up for it. I get approved as a merchant. I put it on my site. Is there a monthly fee or anything for me just to have it? No. Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm saying is there's like no risk for a merchant to offer this to their customer. Well, I don't know if our compliance team would approve me saying there's no risk. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, in spirit. But I wanted to bring up one other point that might be of interest to uh, the merchant audience, which is a major difference between us and credit card platforms, is that the merchant, as I mentioned, gets paid within two days. The credit underwriting and the fraud risk is on us. So what I mean by that is we have a full automated fraud prevention or mitigation stack that we do before we do a credit check on a customer. 
And so that responsibility is ours. And with credit cards, with card not present transactions, which is what e-commerce transactions are, the merchant's on the hook for any potential fraudulent activity from a customer. This is actually a huge, huge value you left out, Tim, the whole time. (laughs) So am I understanding this right? Like I ran stores for years and chargebacks was, they were an issue like, and customers, it can be because it's a fraudulent order, but also sometimes customers, they just, they get a product and it's not exactly as they thought it was. And instead of calling the brand and returning it, they just call their visa company and dispute the charge. And there is fraud companies now that come in, they do chargeback protection. You pay anywhere from 50 bips up to have chargeback protection that if a customer does that, you're covered. You're saying that's built into this? Well, chargebacks are different than fraud, right? As you know, probably better than I do. So what we are doing is catching fraudulent transactions where, you know, a chargeback could be a result of receiving the wrong product or being dissatisfied or never received it and that sort of thing, those we will work with the merchant to resolve. And only if they're not resolvable would the merchant have an issue, which I think is reasonable. If the dispute is not able to be resolved by the merchant and they didn't receive the item that they ordered, that's really a merchant's responsibility. I'm talking more about the fraud where someone makes a fraudulent purchase with no intent to pay which with card not present transactions, the merchant is responsible for. And as you mentioned, they often have to have some type of insurance for that. With us, it's only if the wrong item was shipped or they're a dissatisfied customer or they never received it. And it's not resolvable by the merchant where there would be a chargeback for the merchant. It makes sense. So you're essentially eliminating a big portion of what would be a chargeback under the fraud category. But now if a customer is still disputes the charge that this happens all the time is customers just say, well, I never got it. And they dispute the charge. I mean, it's a scam. It's not right, but customers do it. And then Visa instantly puts the money back on their credit card. And the whole onus is on the merchant to prove that the customer got it. And it's a lot of work. And I've gone through this and you get these long forms. You have to prove that it was shipped. And sometimes depending how it's shipped. And if there isn't like a signature on delivery, if there isn't a picture of it on the doorstep, if you can't prove that it actually was delivered, then the credit card companies say, well, I'm sorry, then we can't. Because their first priority is that customers feel safe shopping. So it's all the risk is on the merchant. But this sounds like, I imagine this actually comes up a lot less with future pay than it does with credit cards, but different type of buyer, I imagine, because you're having a long-term relationship. I've got a tab with a merchant versus I just buy something one time, dispute the charge. And I don't know, I'm assuming maybe it even doesn't even come up that much. Mm-hmm. But if it does, we don't do that immediate. We work with the merchant to resolve the dispute. In terms of before the item is shipped, us approving the transaction and doing the fraud check for the applicant, that is all something that we take the responsibility for and have very sophisticated system for doing that that most mid-market merchants wouldn't be able to have. By the way, one other thing in terms of the friction-free checkout, which I know is near and dear to Bolt's heart, once someone has applied and is approved and makes a purchase with FuturePay and their account is set up, when they return, unlike with the MPL or credit cards, when they return, all they need to do is enter username and password. And if they have password enabled on their device, then they don't even need to do that. It's not even one-click shopping like Amazon, totally friction-free for subsequent purchases. I don't think anyone is going to sign up with FuturePay as a consumer customer just because of that, but it certainly takes a lot of the friction 
for mobile shoppers in particular for subsequent purchases. No, that's fantastic. This has been great, Tim. I, I learned a lot. I hope our listeners learned a lot. I would encourage anyone to give it a try. I can say it's no no risk. On the cost side, there isn't a $5,000 to install this. Like, Turn it on, promote it to your customers and see if they use it. So where can people learn more about FuturePay? Thanks for the endorsement, Jay. Appreciate it. Anyone who's interested in learning more can reach out to me directly at tim.harris at futurepay.com or could send an email to info at futurepay.com or visit our website where there's contact us. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been great. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Jay. Look forward to uh, having a great 2023 together. Absolutely. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 